Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Your goodness in our hearts, your goodness in our lives, your purpose. When you sent Jesus here upon the earth to say, to give us direction, and he was able to declare, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is because you do not want us to fall off the way. You do not want us to fall after lies, and you don't want us to live destructive, deadly lives. We pray today that your word would deliver us from any condition that would set in our hearts far from your heart, Lord. And that as we search the scriptures and we listen and consider and meditate, we might be delivered, O oh God, and be found in the abundance of the life that you have given us and gifted us that we receive through inheritance, Lord. Bless this word. Make it prosperous in our hearts that it would enlighten our steps and our paths and allow us to see and walk and hear and participate in those things you have for us, Lord. Things freely given in Christ Jesus. Bless your word. Make it a good seed that it not return void, Lord, but it would be able to fulfill the work for which you sent it, O God. We trust, O God that you're powerful to keep us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the curious things for my motivation to begin to read the Bible, age of 16 years old, little cousin told me, Joaquin, you're gonna end up in hell. I got a little concerned because hell is not a good place. And I opened up the Bible one last opportunity and it fell in Deuteronomy 28 verse 15 and it says curses for disobedience when I read that topic in that subheading I didn't feel too good and I was in shock I wasn't a Bible scholar nor was I sophisticated in knowing things about scripture but the word curses really bothered me because I thought curses belonged in pyramids I had heard about curses in the old pirate movie Sinbad and I didn't like those words, and I began to read things in the Bible that really caught my attention. For the Bible says it shall come to pass if you do not obey God's voice, if you're not set on following his words diligently and carefully keeping his commandments and his statutes, which he commands you this day, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And it bothered me to see these words in this book because I considered the Bible a holy book that would only confer blessings. And then now, years later, I'm even more freaked out because God is not telling these words to a pagan nation. He's not telling these words to the Egyptians. He's not telling these words to the Babylonians. He's not telling these words to the other nations that surround it. These are words delivered to his people. And so that was my beginning many, many years ago. 
Understanding that if we not follow God's ways, we would fall out of God's ways. And that is the most scary thing that could happen to anybody. We're worshiping God here tonight. And while some of us have become so confident in our worship to God, we feel this is just another Wednesday night. This is another Bible study. We have just enjoyed the presence of God in this place. But I want to tell you something. For many people, it's not another Wednesday night. They don't find themselves in the presence of God. They find themselves with an inability to even want to hear the word of God. The Bible says they will not tolerate Bible studies. And we will understand why they won't tolerate Bible studies because something has occurred in their lives. Now, my confidence in the things of God is the falling away of my walk in the Lord is an every day. Say with me, each day. Each day. I consider it a real concern that I would continue as a Christian man. It's not a for granted thing. It's not something that I say, yeah, no problem, no sweat. And the reason is because many of the men that I used to hold out as heroes today are uh, very skeptical. They've become very cynical. They're cynics. They make fun of the scripture. They make fun of Christianity. They make fun of preachers. They have become intellectualized in their thought. I was just talking um, to a young woman this morning. And she tells me about growing up in a church with her pastor. And years down the road, her pastor, who was a hero who preached in many places, in many um, conferences around South America, came a time where he began to play with the things of God. Came a time where he began to uh, consider it just normal to leave his wife, leave his ministry, and become somewhat of an atheist in non-belief. So one of my confidence is knowing God's love. Knowing that, that someone who cares for me, I want to say more than I care for myself. How many say amen? He was thinking about me when I wasn't thinking about him. He was concerned with my salvation and my righteousness and my walking in blessing. The blessings, I'm, I'll tell you right now, everything that I enjoy as a pleasure, everything in my life that, that, that shines bright is the hand of God. It's the grace of God. It's the goodness and mercy of God. And so I, I stand here knowing that his grace keeps me. In Jude chapter 1, verse 24, I want to start with this basic premise that there is one who is able to keep you from falling. Say one. It's only one. There's one who is able to keep you from falling, from stumbling. This, is, this has feedback. And he's not only able to keep you from falling, he's able to present you before his throne without any blemish or fault. 
That means that he's doing a perfect work in us. And I want to, I want to tell you um, that my testimony goes as follows. I came to the altar and knelt down and I said, Lord, if you don't save me, this is not going to happen. If you don't do a work in my life, I'm, I'm not, I can't. I won't be able to be a Christian. I won't be able to read my Bible. I won't be able to love you. I won't be able to serve you. I won't be able to follow your plans. I don't have that ability. I don't even have the desire. Some people want to be preachers. Some people want to be Christians. At the time Jesus came into my life, I wanted to be a reckless, disobedient, worldly, sinful, rebellious, disobedient son. That's what I wanted to do. That's what I was aiming for. But there's one who's able, I want to establish this as a foundation. There is one who's able to keep you without ever, the Amplified says, slipping or falling. That's a good thing because it reminds me when I learned how to ice skate, you had somebody holding you up. And if we have somebody holding us up, are we going to fall? No. Are we going to mess up? No. Because he holds us and he's able I want you to underline that in your Bibles. He's able to keep you from falling. He's able to keep you from messing up. And present you without any faults, without any blemish, in His presence, with the expressions of incredible joy. You've seen the Olympics. You've seen how these athletes are competing. They don't want to fall. And when they finish their exercises, when they finish their sport, they stand before the judges with, if they didn't fall, with exceeding joy. The girl was uh, from the ladies' gymnastic team last night. She was crying. She was so happy she didn't fall. She didn't mess up. She was standing before the judges like saying, ah, ooh. And, and this is... As we look forward, and you guys saw Francis Chan as he's doing the balance beam, and he, da-da, I want to be able to, da-da, before the Lord. I want to be able to know that I didn't only start my Christian walk, I finished. I didn't start being a Christian, I finished. I didn't start um, saying, yeah, let's, let's run this, let's run this marathon, let's run this race and so just like when I opened the Bible and I saw the word curse and it's to his people and it's a concern and a caution to him um, as you grow in Christianity something that we have to know and understand is that there are some that have fallen there are some that have, the Bible says, fallen away. They're no longer walking. They're no longer serving the Lord. And, and it's a travesty. I remember um, even uh, being a young man and losing my uncle. I was at the age of 10, my aunt and my uncle got divorced. I never saw my aunt. I said, hmm. I didn't know this happened in families. Did you lose a member of the family on a permanent basis? That was bizarre. Nobody talked about him anymore. Nobody wanted to talk about him. He just disappeared. And you're like, what is that? And, and I want to tell you, 
Could I, could I ask you, who is it that gets divorced? There's a single group in the population of the earth that get divorced. Who are they? Married people. And there are certain people who fall away from their walk from the Lord. Who are they? Christians. Those who believe. And it's, it's scary. It's crazy. It's insane. It's unexplicable. And, and we'll see here that, that the Lord talked about it. And even as he talks about it, in Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus said these words, No one who's put their hand on the plow and then turns away and looks back is fit. Do we got that verse up there? Luke 9, 62. It says, These who put their hand on the plow and then turn around and go another direction, they're not the measure of the kingdom of God. When I used to read this verse, I said, Lord, I'm not looking back. I'm not looking back. And Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. She, she turned around and had somehow or another, her affections were in the city of Sodom and the Bible says that whatever was falling as destructive force upon Sodom buried her. And Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. It's a, a very uncomfortable. And divorce is an uncomfortable topic. Um, curses is an uncomfortable topic. Seeing people suffer the judgments of rebellion, it's horrible. But all throughout the Bible, we could easily quote five, six, seven, up to ten times where God called his people to return to him. In Revelations chapter 2, verse 4. You'd figure it's the end of the Bible, it's the end of time, it's the end of prophetic utterance. Who would ever turn from God at almost the end? I don't think the book of Revelation should have anything telling anybody, come back to me. That would be crazy. And here we have in the last book of the Bible, God says, listen, you've turned away from your first love, return from where you have fallen, verse 5. Remember where you have fallen, repent, repent, and do the first works. Get back to, I love when I'm watching these races in the Olympics. I love when the guy swimming is catching up. And God is saying, hey, mister, get on the ball. Get on the, get, get where you're supposed to be according to your strength. How many saw Phelps lose? Because one guy decided at the last second, the guy from South Africa, wait, let me get where I belong. He touched that wall, and he beat Phelps. And so I'm wondering here, who has gotten so comfortable in their Christianity, they're just like, I'm coming. I'm just pacing. Listen to me. Get where you need to be. Start getting to that place where you belong. Don't play with your strength. Don't play with, I'm getting back eventually. Repent. Do the first things you used to do. And, and you know, People do not like threats, but I don't know what this means, or else. What is or else? 
It's, it's a threat. It's a consequence. You don't get where you belong, and I'll remove your lampstand unless you turn. So I've named this uh, message the world-changing power to return because I think in these last days, if there's a message we're to repent, I mean that we're to preach, it's not only repent, you're going to hell because you don't know Christ, but just as powerful telling those that already know Christ, come back, come back. Don't come back to me. Don't come back to Pastor Joaquin. Come back to the Lord. Come back to your relationship with Christ. Don't come back to Spring of Life. Hey, we, we should close down as, as a church if we have stopped having a personal relationship with Christ. Every single one of us should have a personal relationship with Christ. And this place is about getting people on fire for Christ. Getting right with God. Getting where you belong with God. And, and so we should be just speaking what God wants us to speak. Come back to your first love. Return from where you have fallen. Get back in the place where you belong. And so we, as, as we go through a couple of, you know, examples where this becomes crazy. I think it has to be our strength in these days, not only calling lost sinners, but be able to reconciling Christians who've fallen away. How is it we do it? Uh, one, of the, one of the parts of the vision of this church, Spring of Life Fellowship, it would not only be a refreshing of a spring that flows for new believers, but for the anguished veteran believer that just doesn't see anything, doesn't, doesn't feel anything, doesn't know anything. And, and this, is, this is the reconciliation that God has called us to. In Revelations 3.15, uh, again, the next chapter, the last book of the Bible, he's putting things on a balance and he says, I know, I know your condition. Verse 15, he says, I, I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you had... You, you had further participation in your walk. I wish you were hot or cold. I wish you would make up a decision. Verse uh, 16, he says, because you're lukewarm, because you're indifferent, you've fallen away, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I'm wealthy, I don't need anything. I'm but you know, don't know that you're wretched, miserable, and poor. One of the, one of the very, very, very big signs of falling away is when you declare you have no need. I don't need God. I don't need to go to church, Pastor. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to listen to God's word. I don't need to come to church. And he doesn't know his condition, but the Lord knows his conditions. And he says like this, verse 19, As many as I love, I call to return. I rebuke, chasten. Therefore, be zealous and turn back. Turn back. Get back on the page you should be in. We, we have, just like in all, in all settings, um, as a lawyer, every time somebody has a legal problem, they say, we'll, we'll just ask pastor because it's legal and he'll fix it real quick. 
And they come, you know, with huge legal problems. I had to tell a lady this week, lady, I can't help you. No, no, but you're a lawyer, and my pro you, you could help me like that. And people think that pastors can do things like that too. If you have a medical condition, and, and you run over to a doctor, and you say, hey, this is what's going on, you know something? I, I, and, and you could just help me like that. And the doctor starts backing up and opening the eyes and like saying, you better get to an emergency room. You need a specialist. Because in our church setting, a lot of people love to repeat Matthew 18, verse 12. This is what a lot of people love to, to and we, we were seeing this even in the Spanish uh, services, about that one little sheep that goes away, and the pastor goes after him, and beats up on the devil, and picks up the little sheep, and brings it back to the fold, and I wish and prayed I wish and pray that this was a reality in many, in many circles. What do you think? A man has 100 sheep and one of them goes astray. Does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? Verse 13. And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more that, over that one sheep than the 99 that did not go astray. Verse 14. Even so... It's not the will of the Father who's in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. How many feel and understand the heart of God with this parable? And, and this is what you should be feeling and understanding. God doesn't want to lose one single person. It's not his heart that any should go anywhere but close to the shepherd. And so that's the heart of God. That's the heart of his shepherds. Um, I've gone over and above, and I've sat down, and I've said, do you remember King David? Yeah. You remember when he fought the wolf and the bear and the lion and ripped the sheep out of their mouth? And they go, yeah. And I've told them, I'm here for you because I want to fight for your soul. I want to fight for your family. I want to stand up and be your shepherd and fight your battles. And they've told me, thank you, pastor, but no thank you. We're not interested. And so now I'm concerned, and I say like this, I say that it's not as easy as picking up the sheep and bringing them back to the fold when their heart is set on backsliding. When their heart is set on being far from God, there's no, there's no quick fix. There's no abracadabra. Um, the Bible throughout from day one to see Adam and Eve have everything God prepared for them and see them turn away from God is a mystery. They weren't turning away from the garden. They weren't turning away from the trees. They were turning away from God himself. It was a mystery. And it's such a mystery that people would turn away from God. They turn away from their first love. They turn away from the good news of the gospel. The Bible says that they turn towards Satan. Adam and Eve turn and began to negotiate a deal and a compromise with the serpent himself. 
It says in 1 Timothy 5.15 that they turn in a direction. For some have already turned aside after. Does your Bible read the same mind does? God is calling them to walk in this direction and they've turned around and they're walking contrary to the direction of God. That is fascinating. Fascinating. Psalm 125, verse 5. It says they turn towards the things that are evil. This is a culture as for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with workers of iniquity. Uh, again, I want to get back to this reality. Who falls off horses? People who ride them. Except Corey. She hangs on. But in order to fall away, the only qualification you need to have is to be walking in the Lord's way. The only thing that would allow you to be drawn away is a person who is in the way. You can't be drawn away if you're not in the way. What caused the prodigal son to get up and leave? Anybody have any answers? He turned off course. And in every scenario, you'll see that even the biggest and the greatest have turned away. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon Peter was approached by the Lord and he says, Hey, the devil has a nice little plan for your life. And it's right around the corner. And he's asked for you that he might sift you like wheat. Let's read that real quickly. In John... No, Luke 22, verse 31. Luke 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for your sweet little body that he might swift you as, sift you as wheat. You know what? I don't want the devil to be using my name for anything. I don't want him to be saying, give me a chance at Joaquin so that I can... Stick it to him. And Jesus responds in verse 32 and he says, but I have prayed for you. What did Jesus pray? Verse 32. I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Will there ever come a time in your life where you're going to be shipwrecked in the faith? I hope not. But I also hope that you're not navigating outside of the roadmap of the journey God has put you on. I hope you don't fool around at the high seas. I hope that you are attentive and you are serious about what you're doing and you're navigating not to fail. I have prayed that your faith should not fail. And then when you have returned to me, when you have returned, returned from where? From falling, from leaving. Who? Peter? Yes, Peter. Couldn't be. Then who? Peter. And Peter goes back to his boats and he's fishing again. He saw the dead rise. He saw Lazarus healed. He saw, he saw everything and he backslides. He goes fishing again. He decides to put away his faith walk. He decides to put away his relationship with Christ. And the Lord has to go and find him. And when he, you know, I don't know 
You know, because the last thing Jesus tells his disciples before he dies, the, the Lord's Supper, he says, I want to marry you. I want to be intimate with you. You guys are going to reign with me in eternity. You guys need to do the work. You guys go to the ends of the earth, preach the gospel to all creatures. You, th- you guys are my team. You guys are my, my Olympic A team. You guys are. And Jesus comes back and he's like, where did this guys go? And in John 21, he comes back to the very place he found them. He's like, hey, boys, you might want to throw the net on the other side. You catch some good fish. He had called them to be fishers of men. And here they are out there, say with me, totally backslidden, disconnected. They are the world changers. They're the guys that God called to change the world. They're going back to grab their nets. I think they, hey, guys, could I have my boat back? Three years later. And so all I'm trying to say with this is if this, this happened to people who walk with Jesus, who do we think we are to say that we are going to do anything better? God, help his mercy be on us 24-7, seven days a week, every second of the day. That we might breathe like we were singing tonight. The air I breathe, let it be God's. Let me not get into a condition of spiritual ailment because backsliding is a spiritual disease. Pastor, how do you know it's a spiritual disease? Because Isaiah chapter 1 verse 5 says it is. And I say what the Bible says. And God says, you guys have been stricken again. You're only stricken by disease and by plague. And God says, you, again, you're contaminated in your hearts. What I delivered you from in the beginning, it's back upon you. Your rebellion, your disobedience. And he says, why should you be sick again? And you continue to backslide more and more. And your head is completely sick. Backsliding is a sick condition and there's no worse sickness than the person that doesn't know he's sick it's the worst condition why should you be sick from your head and your whole heart i want to tell you that backsliding is a heart condition it's a condition of your heart and it's so secret because people don't don't know the heart only god knows the heart verse six he says like this he says, from the sole of your foot even to the, to the head, you have no soundness. You're, you got, what was it? What was it? Stinking thinking. Your head is twisted. You're sick. There's no sound in the wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. You got something eating on you that's causing you to close your heart to God, close your heart to his instruction, close your heart to his leading, to his counsel, to his word. I've had people so backslidden, they say, well, pastor, that's what your opinion is. That's what you think. I'm like thinking, what are you thinking? What what do you perceive? And so Galatians 6 tells us in verse 1, it says that we should help those. If somebody's stuck in their travels, 
those of us that are more spiritual, because usually the less spiritual are the ones that try to help. Have you seen the blind helping the blind? Have you seen that? The Bible says both of them fall in the hole. The instruction is the ones that are more spiritual. Who goes in to see a sick patient? A doctor does. Well, I'm not a doctor. I'm here for good support. You're going to get sick. You're going to get sick. Ravi Zacharias says that there was a surgeon that was operating a drug addict woman because she had gone through a, a real bad beating and he was, uh, the doctor was helping her revive and, and he cut his hand to a patient that had tuberculosis and had AIDS. And, and, the, and he goes, man, this little cut here could infect me with what she has. And he says, that's nothing compared to spiritual disease. That the transfer is a contagious disease of a person in a condition that's sick. The transference is very, so it says, those of you who are spiritual, restore such a one. In the old days, they used to have a person with leprosy be brought over to who? To the high priest. He would examine him. He would determine what his condition was. He would determine the contagiousness of that leprosy. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also fall away. That's our condition. Knowing that these things are fast, they're furious, they're of such category that even God, as he sits and observes what's going on. Let's read Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 4. Listen to me. We're talking about God now. God is going to sit there and, and look at the condition of backsliding, and he says, thus says the Lord, will they fall away and not get up again? Will somebody who's running the race fall and not get up again and continue running? Then God asked the question, how weird it is for those that were running so well, fall, and he's expecting them, and he's like, why don't they just get back in the race? Why don't they get up? Will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? I'm going to tell you how I see backsliding and how I see falling away. If you're going on a highway, every day you have an opportunity to backslide. How many say amen? All of us. We have the invitation to say, I throw the towel. I'm not fighting no more. I'm not going to, I'm not going to run with the Lord no more. I'm not going to go. I'm not. So you're driving on the highway, and the devil keeps on wanting you to get off the highway. Every day, Frankie, every day. An invitation to say, hey, throw the towel, quit, you don't need to do this. And so it's every day. You're like, no, I'm going to stay on the left lane. I'm going to stay on the highway. But once you get off, because you say, yeah, I'm just going to try this little neighborhood here. I'm just going to hang out. Listen to me. You're not going to know when you're going to get back on. There's been a man, he says, 20 years ago, I'm going to take the summer off. Lord, three months. I've been a Christian all my life. I'm just going to go away for three months. I'll be back. You know when he came back? 20 years later. Because of his destruction in his home, his divorce. You do not want to get off and say, I'm just going to take three months off. Because three months must, 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 could possibly become 20 years. Your little vacation might be like it did with the people of Israel, 40 years. 
says, we're just going to rebel just a little bit. Okay, you're going to rebel. I told you to go in. You wanted to stay out. Now you're going to stay out. Now you're not going to participate. One of the things I learned really early on in my Christian walk, God does not have brats. Tell your neighbor, hey, there's no brats in the house of God. God's not playing games. He's not going to sit there and, and say, okay, throw a tantrum. I just heard one of the kids back there in the Sunday school, he was throwing a tantrum. God does not allow brats in his house. He doesn't let you twist his arm. Okay, God, if you don't do what I say, then I'm not going to come to church for three weeks. Listen to me. It's going to be 30 years. You will take an, a, a, a hiatus, a detour, and you will regret every single day of your tantrum. So I learned, because I, I used to throw tantrums, and the Lord says, I'm, just, I'm going, if you want to get lost, get lost. So he says there, will they fall and not rise? Will they turn and not come back? Verse 5, why has this people backslidden? Why has my people slidden away? Listen to me. Why has Jerusalem perpetually slidden away? One of the things I told Cecilia when she was like 13 years old, 14 years old, if you're not going to fight the battles of the Lord when you're 14 and 15, you're not going to fight them when you're 24 and 25. Because your trials are the size of your age. If you don't slam dunk them, if you don't hit the home run now, when you're 24 and 25, don't say, I'm going to be a strong Christian down the road. Well, when we have a couple kids, I'll we'll be a strong Christian. Listen to me. If you're dropping the ball today, you have no ability to promise that at the age of 30, you're going to get it together. A friend of mine says, it's a Hispanic guy, and he has a Spanish saying. He says, si no te montan el caballo ahora, when it takes off, you're never going to jump on. If you don't jump on the saddle right now, you won't catch up to ride on the saddle later on. You won't be able to get on right now. And he says, why is my people backsliding in perpetual backsliding? And they prefer not to hold on to truth. They want to hold on to lies and they refuse to turn. Now, you know that a backslider is holding on to lies. The devil has given a whole bunch of lies to hold on to. And God is saying, I don't understand why they're holding on to lies and they don't want to hold on to truth. Why, why are they embracing what is not good and not embracing what is good? That's, that's really, that's scary. Verse 6, listen, I listened and heard. God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get close and try to listen to their thoughts. And God listens and he says, they're not speaking right. Their words are twisted. Thoughts are twisted, words are twisted. God listens and he says, what they're reasoning has no reason. I listened and heard, but they do not speak right. And no man was turning from doing what was wrong. Yeah, we did this because we did this because we did. Listen to me. Lord, forgive me. Let me return. And none of them were saying, what have I done? How did I allow this to take place? How, how they, they weren't focused on their sin. They were justifying everything they were seeing. Everyone turned his own course as a horse that rushes into battle. They're just doing their own thing. They're just doing their own thing. Verse 7, even though there are animals that know their appointed times, like the stork, 
knows how to fly out of the winter, and the turtle dove is swift, and the swallow, all the birds have an internal drive that tells them, let's go back where we belong. Let's go back to the place is safe. Let's get out of the winter. Let's get out of the storm. Let's get out of the, the tsunami. These people don't. He says, animals have common sense. A backslider has lost common sense. And they all know the time of their return. But my people do not know. There's a storm coming. There's a tsunami coming. There's a flood coming. They said that the fastest way to know when there's going to be a climactic atmospheric catastrophe is not look at the satellite and the barometer and the news channel. Observe the animals. When the animals start running to the mountain, Brandon, you run up that mountain, brother. When you're looking in the landscape of reality and you see the, 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 the smallest and tiniest and weakest running for their lives. How bold do we think we are that we could walk without the Lord? In verse 8, he says, how can you say we are wise? The law of the Lord is with us. Look, the false pen of the scribes certainly walks false, works falsehood. And the wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? God has been faithful to give them the counsel of the Lord. I was talking with a man a couple weeks ago. I said, listen to me. This is the counsel of God for your life. Do you understand it? He says, yeah, I know. I know what God wants me to do, and I know where God wants me to be, but I'm not going to do it. And I got up from the table, and I left, and I have peace in my heart. Because once a person already knows the counsel of God, that's my job. My job is to make sure you know what God wants you to know. And if you're trampling the word of God, there's nothing more that I can do. Malachi chapter 3 verse 7, Jesus, uh, the Lord deals with his people. He says, yet from the days of our fathers, you have gone away from my law. From the days of old, you have left my order and have not kept my ways. And this is the heart of God. Return, and I'll return to you. Change your attitude, and I'll change my attitude, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, what do you mean return? What do you mean return? I think when God is saying to turn, it's a good time to turn. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Go and proclaim these words to the north and say to my people, Return backsliding Israel says the Lord. I will not cause my anger to fall upon you, for I'm merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry. I don't want to do any damage. I don't want to do collateral situations here. But he does require in verse 13 that we acknowledge our iniquity. Only, only, I'm, I'm not going to, there's not going to be any dealings. Only acknowledge your iniquity. That you have overstepped against the Lord your God, that you have scattered your charms to alien, you're trusting in other things, you're going to trust in your confidence, and you have not, say with me, have not obeyed the voice of God. The, uh, the book of, um, of Jonah, um, the Lord tells him, and 
the man is unfazed. He had the word of the Lord. He had the instruction. Listen to me. I was telling George Caracol this week, it's beyond my imagination how Jonah got swallowed by a fish and still didn't turn his heart. Three days later. I, I don't know what that is. I don't want a big fish, number one. And if there's a big fish before he swallows me, I'm saying, I'm doing what you say. I'm going where you want me to go. I'm going to do what you want me to do. Listen to me. If at all I don't have an opportunity to do it right then, like 30 seconds inside the stomach, I'm doing it. An hour later, if I'm interrupted because I'm knocked unconscious for like about half hour, two hours, three hours, right when I wake up, six hours later, I'm getting right with God. Why did this man wait for three days? That only goes to show the depth of our stubbornness. If backsliding is a disease, stubbornness is the condition. I always ask, a lot of people ask, so-and-so's son is sick. The first thing I do is, does he have a fever? Because if he has a fever, he's sick and, and there's something to do. Well, if somebody's having an issue and, and I see their stubbornness, I say, oh, he's backsliding. Because backsliding is manifest through stubbornness. You'll know a person is totally and completely backslidden when he has become stubborn. Proverbs 14, verse 14, we see it there. It's a condition of doing what you want, how you don't want, where you want, the times you want. He says, the backslider in heart is filled with his own stubborn ways. Amen, Pastor. Amen. I heard the word. I'm going to do what I want. These people in here have been backsliding for 10 years. They come to church. They say, amen, pastor, amen. Stubborn as a mule, filled with their own ways. Sad. We have to ask God, Lord, heal us from our backslidings. It's a normal condition for those who are walking in the Lord to want to return to God. In Jeremiah 3.22, he says, return, you backsliding children, and I'll heal your backsliding. Guys, can I confess something? A long time. Through my Christian walk, the first 10 years, there was backsliding in my life every two months, every six months, every other year. And, and the way that I get delivered is saying, Lord, heal me. Heal my backslidden heart. Touch my life. Because if you don't heal me, I don't have a chance. Isn't that awesome that you can tell God that you're backsliding and that you ask him to heal you? How many know if you ask God to heal you, he'll heal you? That's an awesome thing. If you're serious with God, God will get serious with you. I love this verse here real quickly uh, that, that David says. And he says, Lord, when I've gone away from you, Psalm 119, verse 176, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Come and find me. That's not the one, right? 119, verse 176. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. 
Lord, seek your servant. I belong in your fold. I belong doing your will. I belong listening to your voice. I belong obeying your word and following you. I don't belong sick and rebellious and forbidden and forsaken. Come and seek me, Lord. If you, if you seek me, then I'll be found. And, and I want you to pray that prayer. Lord, heal my backsliding. It worked for me. There's a powerful, powerful goodness. I want to go ahead and tell you the conformity in the book of Amos real quick. The, the attitude that allows this backsliding condition to come upon you is when you start getting comfortable in your Christianity. And Amos 6 verse 1. Some of us get too comfortable. And the Bible says, woe to those of you who are at ease. You're just chilling out. You're taking it easy. The expression and illustration when I first became a Christian is if you're not moving forward in the Lord, you are moving with the current. If you're not moving forward in the Lord, the current takes you backwards. So purpose in your heart to be at the top of your game. Purpose in your heart to be passionate. Woe to you that are at ease. I'm going to take it easy now. I've got a couple of weeks off and everything will be fine. No, you don't want to take it easy. I want to tell you that we're living in these times and I want you to understand that you'll look around the landscape of our life nowadays and I want to challenge you. Can you name 10 backsliders? Yeah, some of you are admitting I'm a backslider. That's good. But you could see in the landscape of your surrounding there are many falling away. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of God expressly says that in the last days there will be a falling away from the faith. How? Because they begin to listen to deceiving spirits, doctrine of demons. You don't have to be so radical. You don't have to be so intense. You don't have to be so serious. Not everything is so bad. It says that, that, let's go to the next verse, verse 2. They will be backsliding because they won't be speaking truth. They'll be living double lives. Hypocrisy comes through that Greek mask, the hypocritical theater where you hide behind a mask. You don't tell anybody your real condition. You don't open up your heart. You begin to live a double life, and your conscience begins to set on that and be seared with a hot iron. You don't think it's wrong to be living a double life, a Christian life and a non-Christian life, going to church life, a non-Christian. That's schizophrenia. Verse 3, it says like this, forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from food, which God created. They'll get religious. They'll begin to play with God's word. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 3, it says the time will come. They won't tolerate to be around sound teaching. Second. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. I charge you, therefore, verse 3. The time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine. They don't want to hear normal stuff. According to their own desires, they will have itching ears. They will go find their own teachers. They'll have teachers all over the world. They'll watch them on the internet. 
And verse 4 says they will turn aside from hearing truth and they'll begin to talk about stories, fables, man-made aspects. I want to encourage you tonight that you tell the Lord, Lord, I want to be strong. I want to be strong. Matthew 4, 24, 12 says, In the last days, because of the increase of evil, the hearts of many will grow cold. Indifferent. Uh, the, the King James says, They will wax cold. And I said, what's wax cold? It's like a, they blow the candle out. Their Christianity just comes to nothing with a very soft, a cool blowing. They will turn cold in their walk with the Lord. Don't think it's strange that at the Lord's Supper, there was one at that table that was turning away. Who was he? Judas. He was at the Lord's table. You're like, at the Lord's table, brother, you were there. You were right there. Jesus was right there. And Jesus says, go and do what's in your heart. Heart condition. Heart condition. John 6, 66, way before the Lord's Supper, people were turning around. And the Bible says, from that time forward, John 6, 66, from that time on, many of his disciples turned and walked with him no more. Jesus? With Jesus? Yeah, with Jesus. They walked no more with the Lord. I want to invite you, the ushers, to come forward. The main frame is this, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, whoever thinks that he's not able to fall away and to draw back, be careful. If anybody thinks he's strong, not me, pastor, seek the mercies of God continually. Ask God that you would never fall away, that you would never go astray. Peter says in the last days, many will stand up and begin to doubt the word of God and his coming. And they will grow worse and worse, Paul says. But we're to stand firm and continue in those things. And he says, what, what, what type of people ought you be? Does anybody know? What type of people ought you be in the midst of the freal and the furl and the and the sweeping winds, we better hunker down. We better anchor ourselves strong. We better be those type of men, not the, the ones that never mess up, not the ones that never grow cold. But Proverbs 24, 16 says, though a righteous man fall seven times, that's the perfect number of falling away, yet he will get up and he'll continue forward. Proverbs 24, 16. My heart is that if I ever was in the condition of these people, of these men, that I would turn my heart towards home. Like the prodigal son. That I would come back and say, make me as one of your servants.
How unusual that the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, on the night that Jesus Christ was, what a horrible opening to such a glorious night. What a a sad story. What a sad... I, I just imagine the heart of Christ seeing men that he loved and worked for so hard getting up to walk far from him. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on that night which he was betrayed. He took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take and eat this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup and he says, this is the cup of my new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you do it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes.